Well, good evening. Hey, I am, uh, I'm going to pray for the sick tonight. And we always have people up here to pray for any need you have, including sickness in your body. But healing is such a central part of the gospel, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight before we pray for the sick. Uh, what a huge part uh, of Jesus' ministry it was. And, and what a huge part of the Christian life uh, it ought to be. And so when it's, it's, it's something that I just want to return to on a very regular basis, uh, at least on Wednesday nights. You know, Sunday mornings we're kind of on a program, but I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely open, of course, for, for God to interrupt and do anything he wants to then. But I want to start, we're going to look at several scriptures tonight and uh, answer a question. And the question is this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We can start, though, in Mark chapter 16. Very familiar passage. Almost every passage we look at tonight is going to be pretty familiar to you uh, if you spend any time in the Word of God at all. Mark 16, beginning in verse 15. And he said to them, he being Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is a passage that is a favorite of charismatics. Pentecostals were to faith people like us, right? And... It is part of that, maybe your Bible has 9 through 20 bracketed off. Mine actually does not. Uh, in fact, there are some versions, I think the old Revised Standard Version didn't even include it. it you know, there, there'd be a note and then it would be sort of included as a footnote, that whole section. But many of your Bibles might say something like some of the oldest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. We talked about this, by the way, on Sunday mornings when we were in Matthew. But I need to, I need to hit this for, for a couple of important reasons. Number one, even those who question its authenticity are only questioning whether uh, Mark wrote it when he wrote the rest of Mark. Many people believe Mark actually did write it, but he just went back later and added it on because it was a more complete ending. Others believe that other people who were contemporaries, more or less contemporaries of Mark, added it on because they thought where he stopped was, was not an elegant way to end the book and it needed something uh, a, little, uh, a little more seamless, I guess. But nobody who was questioning the questioning whether it belonged there, whether it was of legitimate, uh, you know, authentic mark and authorship, was questioning the doctrine that's in this passage, okay? Uh, the reason, and, and most of the notes, including the one in my Bible, says that there are a couple of the oldest manuscripts that did not contain it. Uh, but practically every other version does every other copy of the bible has has included this section of mark all but all but two or three okay so it's pretty established and that's why most bibles still carry it even if they carry it with that note uh but i think some people uh they want to shy away from this passage because they don't want to get shot down well i don't i don't i don't, I don't really believe that's part of mark 
And the reason some people want to shoot this down, you know as well as I do the problem they have with this passage, the problem, the very number one problem people want to ignore this passage is because of tongues. Jesus said they will speak with new tongues. We're like, ah, we're not in that tongues thing. And if they, and if, and if this part's real, that's a pretty hard one to argue with because Jesus said that. These signs will follow them that believe. Well, that's all believers. And so therefore, tongues, you know, should be something that all believers do. And since we don't believe in that, you know, the easiest thing to do is just say, well, this section of Mark is of dubious authenticity, so let's don't pay much attention to it. Other people might struggle. The next thing they might struggle with would be they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, that's something that at least I think if people are honest, they would like to believe. But in fact, it is much easier. It's kind of a perverse way, but it is easier to just think that, well, whatever's happening to me is God's will. That way, if I lay hands on somebody and they don't recover, well, that was God's will, has nothing to do with me. My faith didn't fail, their faith didn't fail, it just was their time, all right? I don't have all the answers, don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying this to condemn people who don't get their healing prayers answered or who don't get their healing or don't get it fast enough, okay? These are things we struggle with, but we can't, we've got to face come face to face with what the word of God actually says and what it says here and not just here, of course, but what it says here is they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And these are the signs that will follow those that believe. Now, the rest of it, you know, that people will, you know, they'll, uh, where it says, uh, they'll take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it by no means hurt them. Nobody really argues with that. They just, they see where it has been taken to extremes. We've talked about that before too. Snake handling churches, you know, we're going to demonstrate our faith by putting our hand in a jar of rattlesnakes and handing it, you know, across the aisle to somebody. When the Bible itself tells us what the application of this is, when Paul shook shook the viper off of his hand when they were building the fire after the shipwreck, this is the kind of thing it's talking about. We don't have scriptural evidence of this, but there's pretty strong uh, testimony of history that John... Uh, the Apostle John was forced to drink poison at one point, and he survived. Uh, the poison didn't kill him like it was supposed to. So this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So there's this passage. Uh, keep that in mind. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And there are so many things I could have included, so many scriptures, but I've got a sampling here. But I want you to look now at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, uh, Paul elsewhere says, you know, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, you can hold your play. I'm going to say something about this. We'll just look at one more scripture real quick here. Romans chapter 2, which we just read a couple weeks ago because we are at this where we're at on Sunday mornings. Romans 2, verse 16. Uh, nope, that's not what I want at all. Sorry. I think it's 1. 
Yeah, 116. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and as, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's determined to know nothing uh, among you but Jesus and him crucified. And when he defines it here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what is he talking about? When you read these passages, how would you answer the question, what is the gospel? We'll read that part here again, that <clears throat> the gospel that I preached to you, uh, that Jesus Christ died, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel, right? That Jesus Christ died for your sins, and the third day he arose. That is the core of the gospel. Jesus Christ crucified and rising again. And then what he says, that means for us, because I live, you shall live also. Right? This is great news. Then that's what the word gospel means, right? We're all agreed on that. The gospel is the good news. And of course that's good news. But look at this. In Luke chapter 9, this is the disciples have been uh, working with him, walking with him about a year at this point. And then he's getting ready to send them out to do some things without him. Luke 9, beginning in verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever, you, whatever, you, uh, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. If the gospel is Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, what gospel were they preaching? It was the gospel. He hadn't died yet. They, the disciples, those closest to Jesus, did not yet understand that Jesus' death was going to be central to this whole thing, that it really was the center of God's plan from the beginning. Jesus knew it, of course, and he had warned them, tried to prepare them many times. I'm going to go, you know, the, here's how this is going to end. I'm going to go into the city. I'm going to be turned over to the priests, and they're going to have me crucified, and I'm going to rise from the dead. <clears throat> Told them he had to do it to fulfill prophecy. He knew it was going to happen, and they just they either went over their heads or they didn't understand it. They ignored it. They denied it. And they were still shocked when it happened. But they still had a gospel. They still had a good news to preach. What was it? What? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel of the kingdom. 
When Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 24, he's talking, giving him a little glimpse of the last days. And then he says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation. And then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus preached a gospel. His disciples preached the gospel before there was a gospel as Paul defines it and as you and I define it today. Now, is that gospel invalid? No, because Jesus is talking about this gospel of the kingdom is the one that will be preached. These things are together. They still make up the gospel as a whole. Here's what I want you to see. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that we can live under God's rule, his authority, his power. And when we do, we are delivered. We are redeemed. We are liberated from demonic power and from sickness. Now, I'm not, obviously, Jesus taught a lot of things. He spent time teaching the multitudes. But what he did everywhere, remember, was what? He taught He preached, he healed. When he sent his disciples to go out, what did he say? Go and preach and heal. He gave them authority to cast out demons and to cure diseases. And that's pretty simple. They didn't go out and they said it. They didn't go out and set up counseling stations. They didn't go out and build hospitals. They didn't go build schools. None of these things are wrong. Many of these things have been done in the name of Jesus and have done a lot of good. But what Jesus did was gave them power and authority. This is before the resurrection. It's before the ascension and it is before the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Jesus simply delegates his power and his authority by his word, his rhema, and tells them, you go out and do the things you've seen me doing. You do it by yourselves this time. And they did. And isn't it interesting, when we're talking about life or death, when we're talking about people, faith in Jesus, coming to believe We're talking about heaven and hell. Isn't it interesting of all the things Jesus could have told them to say, told them to do, what he tells them to do is preach the gospel and heal the sick. It's, it is so, listen, and and you know what I believe? This is, this is a faith church. I believe in the power of our words and I believe we should be speaking to every circumstance in our life that we see as contrary to God's will. And, and this is a year of giving. I uh, need to say some, a few more things about that, you know, before the, the year gets away from us. But, you know, I believe that God desires to prosper his children. But healing is almost in a category by itself. It is so much a part of our salvation package because it's something Jesus simply did everywhere he went. And this is important because, let me back up here. When we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not, when, he, when we pray that, we are not praying that heaven comes down to earth. No matter how good we can have it, no matter how much victory we walk in, no matter how many blessings, manifest blessings we enjoy, we are not going to enjoy heaven on earth. Heaven is heaven. Now, there'll be, I I should take that back. I mean, the closest thing we'll have to heaven on earth, if I'm not crazy about that phrase, but when Jesus comes to reign and rule on this earth, that's going to be great. 
Until then, we're walking by faith. And we're going to walk by faith through a lot of ugliness, through tribulation, through trouble. This is a promise that Jesus made. But he said, you are more than conquerors. He gives us all, he always gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, right? These are promises. But when we pray, when we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, I like to use, it's a clumsy word, but, but when, when we use the word kingdom, we always think of a place. We think of a, a geographical location that is ruled by a king. Uh, and really, it should, it, we need to be thinking in terms of kingness, okay? Kingship. Uh, and, and we're talking about the rule of God in our lives. And Jesus is saying, our prayer should be that God, God's rule should be as absolute and effective in our lives right now as we know it's going to be in heaven. Just as, we, as he completely and perfectly rules heaven, he ought to completely uh, and perfectly rule our lives. And when we do that, we are walking in authority and power over sickness, over disease, and over demonic power. Okay? So, when Jesus goes to demonstrate the will of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When he goes to demonstrate, and his apostles go to demonstrate the will of God, the way, the primary way he did it was to heal the sick. There is no getting around that. He did all kinds of miracles. But he healed everywhere, and he healed everybody who came to him. Didn't heal everybody, but he healed everybody who came to him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, uh, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the power of his cross. Now when it says he is the image, he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, I have a note in my Bible from my Raymond days. It says that the that, that, that Greek there is he is the exact representation Jesus is, okay? We spent too much, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's bad training, bad Sunday school, bad doctrine, stories, whatever. I think there's too big of a differentiation in our minds between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, and and if it, worldly people, secular people, people who don't believe the Bible but love Jesus or think they love Jesus or like Jesus, they like Jesus but they don't like his dad. God is mean, but Jesus is nice. This is, this is how the world thinks. But, if, but Jesus absolutely contradicts that. The whole word contradicts that. Then here's one of my favorite passages here. In John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 7, Jesus is speaking, and he said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, this is an exciting thing to say. The, the, the disciples, his disciples are always looking for a glimpse, something special that nobody else can see. And Philip said to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. He's going to show us God. This is what he wants. And what's Jesus say? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. That's a pretty powerful statement. Show us the Father. We want to physically see God. And Jesus is like, what have we been talking about for, for all this time, Philip? Three years. And you don't get it yet? You have seen the Father because you've seen me. Do you want to know what he looks like? That's not what we're talking about. Do you want to know what God thinks about sickness? Look at what I do when I encounter sickness. You want to know what God thinks about sin? Well, look at what I do when I encounter sin, but also look at what I'm going to do because of sin. Look at this in John chapter 5. Jesus heals a man. And verse 16 says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered, answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you that the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. This is so powerful because it doesn't just tell us. It's, it's strong enough. If Jesus says, look, I do everything the Father tells me to do, that tells us an awful lot about God. Because why would God tell him to do anything that, that's not in his heart, not in his will? But it's a step further, it's a step closer to clearly see the heart of God when Jesus says, nothing that I do, I do on my own. What I do is I look at my Father and I see what he does, and that's what I do. Why does Jesus heal? Because God is a healer. Did Jesus ever, ever, ever make anybody sick? No. Did he ever, ever, ever refuse to heal anybody? No. Did he ever fail to heal anybody? No. No. I love the way George MacDonald puts this. The miracles of Jesus were the ordinary works of his father, wrought small and swift so we might take them in. It was special to see a man ministering like Jesus ministered. But it was nothing out of the ordinary in terms of the will of God. We just didn't have a man perfect enough to give us the exact representation and the perfect picture of God's attitude toward sickness, toward sin, toward anything. He always had the right answer because he always had the mind of God. Finally, and praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. In John 14 again. 
14.12, right after, he, just as right after what he just said about uh, seeing the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it a hundred times again. Well, depending on how long we're all here. And I don't mean a hundred times today. One of the most irritating things I run across, and I've seen many teachings or opinions on this, and the, and the, the cessationist position always focuses on the last half of that. Now, what are the greater works that we can do? He's not talking about uh, bigger miracles. He's not talking about greater power. He's talking about the thing that the disciples couldn't do yet, which was what? Get people saved. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. What he's saying is after the cross, those who believe in me will then do something even greater than healing the sick, feeding the 5,000, or even raising the physically dead. You're going to be able to lead somebody in to a new birth that will cause them to enter into eternal life. Now, is that a great thing? Yes, it is. Is, is, that, is that the greater works that Jesus is talking about? I believe there's some truth to that. Never mind that for a second. What else did Jesus say? He didn't say, never mind the works that I do. The man who believes in me is going to do greater works. No, the man who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these. Because I go, because what? Because I go to my father. What's he talking about there? Because I go to my father, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come. When I go up, he comes down. He's going to be poured out on all flesh. And the things that you were doing with delegated authority, you're going to do out of the fullness of the presence of God in your life. Just like me, Jesus said. That's how Jesus operated, right? Was he God the Son? Yes. Bible makes it very clear. He operated as a man, a sinless man, full of the Holy Ghost. He says, when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, and you can do everything I did the exact same way I did it. Very exciting stuff. So, once again, I want you to be encouraged. And you can stand up if you want. You don't have to stand up. We have time. But we don't need to take a lot of time. I want you to be encouraged by a couple things. Number one, Jesus' healing ministry is one of the greatest reminders of just how much God loves us. Jesus didn't come down to represent God just by condemning sin, identifying sin, and just by calling people to repentance. He looked at the deep needs of man and understood how sickness touches us, how it can weaken us, how it can, uh, it can financially destroy us. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She spent all she had on doctors, and she was no better. Well, what's his response to that? I love you too much to see you go through that. When Jesus talked about that woman who was bent in half on the, on the Sabbath... And they wanted him to wait. Why don't you wait? Do it on another day. You guys are seven days a week. Why heal her on the Sabbath? He says, why should this daughter of Abraham spend one more day bound by Satan? You wouldn't treat your animals that way if they fell in a hole. Why should I, why should I not heal this woman right now? Right now. He demonstrates his love for us. We're going to come across on Sunday. You don't want to miss Sunday. We're going to come across a great passage in Romans that talks about the deep, deep love for mankind that God has. 
and has always had. So I want you to understand something first. Jesus healed everybody who came to him, believing him, believing that he would heal. Everybody that came to him to, to be healed was healed. Many of those same people did not believe him uh, when he went to the cross. They abandoned him. I believe many of those same people were the ones who were saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. A lot of those people, they weren't unfamiliar with who Jesus was. Many of them have probably been healed by his ministry. But the first, your first response to the presence of Jesus and the person of Jesus is to recognize that for all the healing work he did, what he came for was to die on the cross for mankind's sin. And if you've never personally received that, that death as payment for your sin, if you've never bowed your knee before Jesus Christ as Lord, if you've never personally confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. But it's as easy as a prayer. He wants to be your king. But in that kingdom, there is power over sickness. There's power over the demonic. We have authority and power. And he wants us to walk in it. So once we have made that decision, he says, healing belongs to you. Remember, nowhere does it say pray for the sick. He tells his disciples, and today that's you and me, to heal the sick. When Jesus, who is our example, went to heal people, he didn't say, God in heaven, God my Father, heal this person. He just told them to be healed, or he told them to go wash. He told them to show themselves to the priest. He just spoke to them. So that, and that's, this is the example he's given us. He's given us other ways. You know, pray for the sick, or, or anoint, anoint them with oil. Uh, the oil is, is valid, but it's not, it's, not a, uh, it's not a formula. It's not something legalistic. I just wanted you, the things I've told you tonight, most of you know. But I want you to be stirred up. I want you to be encouraged. And I want you to come up here in a moment, as soon as I pray, as soon as we start singing, I want you to come up here in faith, ready to receive. Well, Scott, I've already prayed. Keep praying, because prayer is part of what we're about as a church. But by praying, Scott, I've already asked God to heal me. Where is that in the Bible? You receive the healing. You come up and just let me join my faith with yours. I'm just going to, when you come up here, just come up ready to receive. Okay? I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. I'm doing the works of Jesus. I believe you come up here, you're going to receive your healing. The healing that he purchased for you, made yours when, he, when those stripes were laid on his back. The healing, just, just as, remember, just real quick, when he went around forgiving sins, you recognize he hadn't died yet. But he, he was able to do that because he knew he was going to. When he went around healing the sick, he hadn't been beaten yet. He hadn't taken those stripes, but he knew he was going to. The healing was on credit. But he paid for it all. With those stripes and with the cross. And it's all been paid ever since. So, I, I felt strongly to preach this message tonight. Again, we're gonna—it ought to be something that's in a pretty regular rotation here, because it was very much part of Jesus' ministry, right? Uh, but I also know sickness has been attacking a lot of people, attacking a lot of people in my family. Uh, so, uh, man, let's just take a minute. 
pray, get our hearts quiet before God, and then when we start singing, don't waste any time. Just come up here and let me lay my hands on you, speak to that thing, and uh, from the moment you hear a word from me, from God, the moment you feel a touch, whether you feel, whether I feel the virtue going out of me, whether you feel it going into you, no matter what you feel or don't feel, you start saying, thank you, God, for healing me. That needs to be your constant verbal response to any symptoms you feel in your body because he paid a dear price. Don't, don't wait. Did he heal me? Did he heal me? Yes, he healed you. 2,000 years ago, he healed you. You receive it and thank him for it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org.